This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. Lucretia is the founder and CEO of Vesta Social Innovation Technology, an online platform and app that allows victims of sexual assault and harassment to document their experience in real time. It was developed in consultation with survivors of sexual assault, lawyers, judges, law enforcement, clinical psychologists, and psychiatrists to create a responsive, effective, and user-friendly interface. So when victims are ready to report, it can be used as evidence in criminal sexual assault and harassment cases. This is a timely response to the Me Too phenomenon and a potential solution for the low reporting and conviction rates of these crimes. Lucretia is passionate about harnessing the power of technology to facilitate access to justice. Good morning, Lucretia. Thank you so much for joining the law school show today. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So we'll just start off the interview with the first question, which is, um, what's your professional background prior to VESTA? I guess if I take it back, my undergrad actually was in political science, and everybody I went to school with ended up going to law school and becoming a lawyer. But I took a slightly different route. Started off as a summer job right under my undergrad at a foreign exchange booth, turned into an international career in international payments and foreign exchange. So actually, my background is in the corporate world. And that took me across roles, like functional roles and across countries. I worked in Canada, U.S. and Europe and worked in multiple languages. So which all kind of culminated in an international assignment where I was the managing director of foreign subsidiary of one of the world's largest multinationals. Oh, wow. That's a really interesting background. (laughs) How has that uh, helped you sort of develop Vesta? And if you want to also describe the platform, you know, how it works as well. Sure. Um, Well, actually, it helped in a lot of unexpected ways was that um, working in something like international payments and also working abroad gave me vast experience in multifunctional roles. So that means like sales, marketing, business development and uh, under working with finance departments and things like that. So it gave me a good overview of what it means to run a business. Mm -hmm. But more specifically, it also gave me quite a bit of experience in working in highly regulated, highly bureaucratic environments, Mm -hmm. which when we start moving towards the world of social enterprises and working in a world of, let's say, uh, helping survivors of sexual assault, there's a lot of process and procedure that you need to understand. And so having that kind of background helped me navigate that and also prepared me for some of the the challenges that I've encountered and I'm sure that I will will encounter in the future. Do you mind just explaining to our listeners just what the platform actually is? Oh, yes, absolutely. So in a nutshell, Vesta is a platform for survivors or victims of sexual harassment and sexual assault to document and report their assault. If I can provide a bit of context before I explain mm-hmm. how it works. Sure. You know, without getting into too many statistics, if you will, something like one in four women will actually be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. But it is estimated that less than 6% of those would be reported. Mm-hmm. But reports actually show that over 85% will disclose to a friend, a peer, or a counselor. So it's not that they're not talking about it, they're just not reporting it. And although victims are beginning to publicly come forward, the process of actually reporting and investigating sexually based allegations is 
challenging for both the victim and for the people investigating those allegations. So victims are really looking for resources and support to process what happened to them, whether or not they're looking to report. And conventional resources like counselors and therapists are scarce and waiting lists are long. Like one of the victims I I spoke to has been waiting over two years to speak to a counselor. As for sexual harassment, you know, we've heard a lot of allegations come out recently. And some of the polls that have come out of the U.S. show that close to 50 to 60 percent of women say they have experienced some sort of harassment at work. And again, many of them warn their coworkers or tell their friends, but exceptionally few report it. So that's where Vesta comes in. So Vesta is a conversational chatbot that can be accessed on your phone. Anonymously and confidentially, someone can start a conversation about what happened to them. So if you want to think of Vesta like a virtual counselor who understands evidence collection but uses the language of a therapist or a clinical psychologist, excuse me. And if the user chooses to and provides consent, Vesta will record that conversation and will collect and document and compile the evidence that was disclosed and turn it into an actionable report. So the reason why it's a platform is that then investigators on the back end will have access to reports that support their investigation and they will have dashboard access that will help them actually craft policies and procedures actually based on real data and statistics. So in the end, Vesta ends up being something that's practical to the victim because she, and I'm using the pronoun she just to simplify our conversation, feels listened to and that her needs are being addressed. And sometimes this is actually the critical piece between her participating in her own case or even reporting. It's practical to investigators because they have access to details that could lead to corroborating evidence. And it's practical to prosecutors if criminal charges are laid because it'll help them with their case theory and strategy and providing evidence-based prosecution and hopefully moving away from victim behaviors and focusing on the offenders. That's a really comprehensive approach to gathering evidence. What was your inspiration behind this idea? Oh, well, it, it kind of evolved. Really, the inspiration, if you will, as I mentioned, I have a background in um, corporate background and actually in financial services. So when I first started thinking about what my next career move was, I really started looking more in the fintech and in that area. But I realized that the more I talked about international payments or sending, how do you process payments to Kenya or anything like that, which I have a quite an intimate knowledge of, I realized that there was this idea in the back of my mind I just couldn't let go. And the political discourse at the time, there was the Brock Turner case at Stanford. Mm-hmm. In Canada, there was the Jean Gomeshi trial that was going on. And then there was the political discourse that was happening during the U.S. elections. Um, And this was in 2016. And I really, I realized I found myself absolutely enraged by what was going on. All the discussions were about that were around sexual assault and rape culture. No one was talking about technology. Everybody was referring to public awareness and education. And even though I think that's true, I thought, what about tech? Why can't we use technology? Everybody walks around with a cell phone that collects this massive amount of data. So why can't we use technology? So last January, probably around this time, I sat down to and I started learning everything I could about emerging technologies and realized we were in the middle of like a chatbot revolution. 
You know, businesses everywhere were looking to develop their own. There was innovations coming out in artificial intelligence and machine learning, which was kind of enhancing the features of chatbots. There was also a lot of developments that were happening in the field of natural language processing, which means conversational type of of, um, interactions between computers and people. And so I thought, well, you know, why don't we combine these two things? Why don't we combine this technology that's coming out with where young people are? I started talking to young women and realized that every single one of them had a smartphone and she may leave her home without her keys, but she'll never leave home without her smartphone. Also started talking to them about you know, how they felt about coming forward. And some of them that had reported and some of them that hadn't and some that just had never even experienced assault at all and realized that they were far more comfortable texting or interacting with people via their phones than they were in face-to-face conversations. So I thought, well, why don't we combine the two? Why don't we combine what's happening in technology and go where, where actual people are? Where do they feel comfortable? And so that's how the the idea was born, is merging the two sides, talking to young survivors and looking at the technology. And so how has the law and uh, the justice system kind of been involved in the, the development of the technology? How did it inform, you know, what the chatbot was going to ask, et cetera? Right. Well, it's... I wouldn't necessarily that informed the technology. I see the technology that we use is more of a tool. It isn't the end goal. Mm-hmm. We're leveraging that technology to increase, that's either reachability and scalability of our platform. But my aspirations aren't so much for the technology we're using, but rather for the solution we're trying to build and the impact we're trying to make. Mm-hmm. So to that effect, really, the way I kind of see it is that the lawyers and the law has really been instrumental in the development of the solution. I'll give you an example. So trying to even understand, let's say, the process of discovery and disclosure. Mm -hmm. So understanding that disclosure is a process and it can be piecemeal and there's challenges inherent in that for investigators and prosecutors when they're building their cases. So understanding what that process is and how they process the evidence has really informed how we're programming the chatbot. And so what are your aspirations for the technology? Like what kind of an impact do you hope it will make uh, society at large? The impact for victims, is, I kind of think of it as kind of threefold, right? I would hope to have an impact for actual victims, that VESTA becomes the go-to safe place for everyone, where they can have 24-7 unbiased, inclusive support, where they can disclose, where they report, and that they have a go-to place that will support them throughout the process for as long as it lasts and for as long as they want it, right? Whether or not they want to come forward or not, it's not going to force them to report it. Mm -hmm. It will just be there for them. For the justice system, I hope that this means that that by facilitating that reporting process and facilitating the comfort level that victims have with coming forward, that it will increase reporting rates. Mm -hmm. And with that, being able to compile evidence and giving, putting that into the hands of investigators that will actually increase the rest rates and help when it comes through witness 
and evidence, not only is it increasing corroborating evidence, but kind of bringing it, moving away from a he said, she said environment. And so that it will have that societal impact as well as focusing on perpetrator actions and less victim blaming and, and shaming. I realize that Vesta isn't going to solve the problem of that's a rape culture by ourselves, right? We're part of a larger solution where we're not going to do it all by ourselves, right? But the way I see it is that I'd like to use the analogy of seatbelt laws. So if you'll indulge me for a minute, how many, you know, how many years ago we used to hear that wearing seatbelts saved lives? There was all this research done. There was all these social awareness campaigns that were out there. People didn't wear seatbelts. But what happened was until the law was changed and until there were demerit points introduced, mm -hmm. so until there were immediate consequences to actually not wearing a seatbelt, people started wearing seatbelts. Consequently, it had a larger impact in terms of saving lives, but the actual act was the deterrent, was that just getting people to put them on. So I hope that VESTA is part of that larger solution where that it does become a deterrent to offenders or would-be offenders, knowing that there are now better chances of consequences for doing this kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And for... So I imagine with the evidence collecting component of this technology that because it's immediate and the questions that it's asking, there's less of a chance that, you know, when the witness is being cross-examined, that in her memory is a little bit fuzzy, that that will make her lose her credibility. Is that sort of the effect that you're hoping for? It is in the sense that I was really fortunate that I've had access to a couple of sexual assault trials and I've sat through a few of them. And one of the biggest challenges then is also understanding the, um, and you even asked me about lawyers and how they inform the process, right? Mm -hmm. And really early on, it was really an understanding of the difference between the credibility of a witness and the reliability of the witness. Mm -hmm. So Having something like Vesta that is part of the process and, and helps the uh, victim process what has happened to her is that it leads to, as you said, one of them is that it decreases, it helps her with her memory. It helps her process what happens because sometimes in, in the event of a trauma, a person doesn't even know or under the stress of it, doesn't even realize that some of the information they have is actually could help corroborate what her story, mm -hmm. right? So helping her put that down and process that would help her, yes, process her memories. And that hopefully then it would also help uh, reduce some of those conflicting statements that could come about, especially when it comes to cross-examination. And speaking of cross-examination, I had a conversation with a judge recently that said to me that, Having that ability of having that witness on the witness stands where she is more confident in her answers and more confident in the way she portrays what she's saying leads to the increased reliability of that witness. Mm -hmm. So if, again, by giving her access to something that helps her process what has happened to her, it will help her then with her recall, as well as them with her confidence of what she is saying, which will then ultimately lead to a more reliable witness. Mm -hmm. 
That's really interesting that you're you're taking the experiences that you're seeing in the courtroom and uh, keeping that in mind and in developing this platform. I think that's really great. So, what's your plan? for implementation in terms of getting this technology, this platform to the community at large? Sure. Well, the way we looked at it when we started thinking about how do we roll this out to the community is we started looking at where is actually the greatest need. And we realized that the greatest needs really, without getting too bogged down in some of the statistics, as I mentioned earlier, is that something like one in in five Uh, women will be assaulted on campus. Uh, Again, using women just to facilitate the conversation, um, the statistics for men and members of the LGBTQ community are actually even more challenging to gather. But all that to say is that there is a great need on university colleges and campuses. There is also a need in workplaces and to provide a workplace solution, as well as there's a great need within the community. So the way we're looking at it actually is almost a a three-prong approach, if we will, is roll out a campus solution, a workplace solution, and a community-based solution. So it's putting it into the hands of organizations that can then disseminate it out to whether it's their students, it's to their staff, or to people that are coming in, you know, to shelters and frontline workers. Were you able to do any research in terms of chatting with women and seeing if having this kind of platform would increase their likelihood in in their decision to report? We did do some research in that, absolutely. Uh, talking to survivors was actually the first step. Mm-hmm. The first step that I took was first was understanding what are the challenges they face when it comes forward to reporting? And a lot of it was about coming forward, was going somewhere, coming out of their comfort zone and going to talk to a stranger who they didn't know and telling their story. The other challenge they had was they had to, a lot of people came forward and said, well, I had to repeat it over and over and over again. So for example, even trying to get access to university resources or counselors, they had to keep repeating their story over and over again because there was no way for people to share that information. Mm. So when we started talking about putting something in their hands where they can then have that conversation and document it, and if they want, again, is to start creating that, we have had some initial um, interest in that saying, yes, this would help me come forward. So what have been some of the biggest challenges and the greatest successes you've experienced so far in getting Vesta off the ground? I think that, you know, if I would talk about something like challenges, you know, when we started this over a year ago, there's a lot of information that's been coming out now, right? Mm -hmm. But I'd say over a year ago, a lot of these conversations were something that was whispered about or people were talking in hushed tones. So gathering information and finding survivors of assault or victims of harassment to come forward and talk about their experiences was quite challenging. On the positive side over the last year, because there's been so much discourse that's going on right now, is that it's become quite easier to find those resources and find collaborators and having people come forward, which has actually helped inform the actual development of the solution. So that's had an instrumental impact on us coming forward. Yeah, with all the 
cultural discourse going on with different celebrities that allegations have been coming out. So you find that that's actually been tremendously helpful for the solution. It's just getting that conversation started. Is that what you've been finding? Absolutely. It's become common chatter couched in, let's say, a conversation about entertainment. It's led to a deeper conversation. And it's also led a lot of people to really think about not just people that have been sexually assaulted or have been sexually harassed, but it's brought it out into the general public and bringing awareness to an issue. And that is one of the biggest challenges, I think, of any company that's trying to build a solution, right, is understanding, first of all, what is the problem you're trying to address? So for us, it's made that conversation much easier to have. And it's also conversely open doors and had people that are positions in authority and that are interested in hearing how can we help them address an issue that they're having. It's not just on the side of the actual victim or the survivor themselves, but even from the side of it, people that are trying to investigate this or trying to prosecute this and give them added tools that can help them. So how has the response been in terms of your conversations with law enforcement and judges? You mentioned that you got a chance to chat with the judge. Uh, what's mm-hmm. their reception level uh, in terms of using this platform to collect evidence? So initial conversations have been quite positive. Uh, of course, there's always some skepticism in terms of can this really affect change. Mm -hmm. However, there has been, when it comes to law enforcement specifically, anything that gives them access to greater details and earlier access to information, they are quite open to. There are many instances where, again, although more people are coming forward now, on average, uh, when I was trying to find and talk to them, well, how long does it take a victim to come forward? You know, if they do even come forward, a lot of them wait months, absolutely months. And some of them I was looking at averages were something like 11 months before coming forward. And no matter how great an investigator is and, and how much the investigator or the police officer believes the actual victim, investigating a historical sexual assault is exceptionally challenging. It's challenging on so many levels to try to understand, try to gather witnesses, do that evidence gathering, talking to, trying to get witness statements. It's exceptionally challenging. So if there is something out there that allows victims to start documenting that information as early as possible, even if they hold on to it and don't actually submit that report till months later, there's already a level of detail that investigators have access to that they wouldn't have now. Mm -hmm. So initial interest has been quite responsive. The challenges that get raised is obviously, and, and I'm sure as some of your listeners are in law school and are lawyers, is when we start talking about privacy and making sure that we're careful when we talk about disclosure as well as, and how that leads to discovery and discovery of evidence and and what happens in a court case and how that evidence gets gathered and what gets shared. So it, it leads to deeper conversations. And that's fabulous because it allows us to really have an informed conversation and it allows us to make sure that we're making sure that we're also properly following like evidentiary processes and making sure we're gathering evidence in line with what investigators need. 
That's great. I'm just going to shift gears a little bit in our conversation. And uh, I wanted to ask a bit about your experience with the Ryerson Legal Innovation Zone and how mm-hmm. it's been participating in the incubator, how it's sort of helped um, in the development of Vesta. Absolutely. So we actually came to the Legal Innovation Zone by introduction through another zone. I don't know if you are aware or your listeners are aware, but there are Ryerson has a whole ecosystem for startups and as well as innovation zones. And so one of them is the Social Venture Zone. And so we actually were introduced to the Social Venture Zone first. And then through conversations with them, we were introduced to the Legal Innovation Zone, which really helped us contextualize our solution as an access to justice solution. And as I mentioned, I don't have a legal background. And so being involved in an incubator like the Legal Innovation Zone really helped with not just the fact that I'm surrounded by lawyers who are innovating every day, uh, which is inspirational. It's also quite practical because it's helped us with our expand our network and actually connect with legal organizations mm-hmm. and helped us access. Like I said, it gives us access to lawyers, judges, crown prosecutors that have informed our solution. And uh, just working in the space, how would you describe sort of the social innovation, social venture landscape in Toronto? Is this something that's growing exponentially? Are people becoming more socially aware of it? I just wanted to get your take on what it's like in Toronto. Well, interesting is that because I'm new to the space as well, I'm learning as I go. So for me, it seems that there are, if by from my perspective, it seems that there are quite a few um, socially conscious enterprises and that we are seeing more and more organizations that are what we call either double or triple bottom line organizations, which means that they're not just looking at revenue as indicators of success, but also looking at societal impact or envi- and or environmental impact. So I do see that there is quite an ecosystem here that's being developed and that there's quite a bit of support that's out there for social enterprises. The biggest challenge that's out there is really trying to get the right measurements and understanding when you're looking at something that's a revenue base and you look at how do you quantify milestones and success, when you're looking at something that's revenue based, those can be easier to qualify and to quantify. When you're looking at societal impact, that becomes a bit more challenging. And it also becomes a bit more challenging when you're trying to discuss it. So there is no kind of industry standard that some of that is still in the development phase. However, to answer your question, I do see that there's quite a bit of support and there's quite a lot of discussion happening. So I wouldn't be surprised in the next couple of years if we see more and more companies come out as double or triple bottom line organizations. I'm just going to close off our conversation today and ask if you have a predicted launch day or what's the best way for listeners to keep up with the updates for Vesta. Right. Well, you know, I'd love to say, as I said, we're in the process of developing the solution and actually developing our MVP, our minimal viable product, right? However, and I really would like to say that it'll be ready next month, <laughs> but it's not. It's uh, We really need to make sure that we're reiterating almost weekly 
the more information we gather, the more refined we, we make it. And we want to make sure that we're close to a solution before we actually launch. Mm-hmm. Our biggest concern actually is not that maybe we might get a feature wrong, but rather that we do more harm than good. This is a really vulnerable population, and we want to make sure that we're helping. We're a bit part of the solution and not part of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. So if people want to hear more about us and where we are, we do have a website, and it's Vesta, S-I-T. So it's short for Social Innovation Technology. So it's Vesta, V-E-S-T-A-S-I-T.com. And that's also our Twitter handle. So we are sending out information and we'll probably be starting a blog soon, which we'll be finding on our website. So if you want to keep track of us, I suggest those two platforms to see what's up and coming. All right, great. Thank you so much for joining us, Lucretia. Thank you so much, Janet. I really appreciate you having me on. You've just been listening to The Law School Show. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or at our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook and get the latest updates from The Law School Show. Career advancing advice, right to your earbuds.